Markholtz, and you are listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 67, for the week of April 14th, 2021. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, April 14th, the moon is a thin crescent in the evening sky. It passes south of the Pleiades, the Seven Sisters, on Wednesday, April 14th. The moon is first quarter, that is, half full in the evening sky, next Tuesday, April 20th. This week is a great time to go out and look at the moon. About noon, Universal Time, on Saturday, April 17th, the moon passes in front of the planet Mars. This occultation can be seen from only a small part of the world. As both the moon and Mars have to be above the horizon, the sky must be dark or nearly dark, and the moon has to be lined up correctly to go in front of Mars. That location is Southeast Asia. Australia will miss the occultation because both will have already set and India will miss it because it will still be in daylight. But Southeast Asia will be able to see an occultation in their evening sky this Saturday, April 17th. For the rest of us, the moon will be near Mars on April 17th. Saturn and Jupiter are well established in the morning sky, rising two and three hours before the sun. You will note that Orion is rapidly vanishing in the evening sky. This is true in the northern hemisphere where it sets four minutes earlier each evening. That is caused by the earth going around the sun and affects those in both hemispheres. And with darkness occurring perhaps a minute later each night in the northern hemisphere, the constellation is lower in the sky when it gets dark. Here in mid-April, it is still easily visible in the western sky. By mid-May, you won't be able to see it at all. For the northern hemisphere, the opposite happens in the fall, when Scorpius, through the area of Hercules, seemed to linger for a couple of months in our evening sky. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes, begins Wednesday, April 14th through Tuesday, April 20th? Well, it all depends upon your location. This week we have five zones. All you need to know is your latitude. From 27 degrees north through 65 degrees north and beyond, the International Space Station will not be visible this week. That is, for many of us, no ISS. From 5 degrees north through 27 degrees north, the ISS will be in your morning sky 
for at least part of the week, not at the beginning of the week, but more towards the end of the week. From 15 degrees south to 5 degrees north, the ISS will be in your morning sky for most of the week. It gets interesting between 50 degrees south and 15 degrees south, as the International Space Station will be in your morning sky for the first couple days of the week, then in your evening sky for the last part of the week. South of 50 degrees south, the ISS will not be visible in your sky until the very end of the week, and then it will be in your evening sky. To determine where it will be visible to you, go to the website heavens-above.com and enter your location, then click on ISS. Comet 2020 R4 Atlas looks great in the morning sky, although it's up almost all night long in the northern hemisphere at about magnitude 8.5. Visible in binoculars under good conditions is also a great telescopic object. The comet moves into the constellation Hercules later this week. A finder map for Comet 2020R1 Atlas can be found on last week's podcast, Podcast 66, Map 3. And the positions of the comet, right ascension and declination, can be found on Podcast 66, Comet Positions. You can also get the present position of this comet from heavens-above.com. The Lyred meteor shower occurs late this next week, peaking on Thursday morning, April 22nd. You might see 10 to 15 meteors per hour, apparently streaming from the constellation Lyra, which rises about 10 p.m. However, the moon will be a factor. The moon will be setting about an hour before morning twilight begins on Thursday morning, April 22nd. If you go out the morning before April 21st, then you'll have nearly two hours between moonset and twilight. The morning before that, Tuesday, April 20th, gives you more dark sky time, but then we are two days before the peak of the shower. Now for the astral class. Comets, asteroids, and zodiacal light. Let's begin with comets. The best model we have for a comet is that it's like a big, dirty snowball that orbits around the sun. They can approach the sun from any direction. Long-period comets are usually unexpected, not predicted, while short-period comets, defined as those which orbit the sun in less than 200 years, can be predicted reasonably well as to where they will be in our sky. The comet is made of a nucleus, typically 2 to 15 miles across, that is 3 to 25 kilometers in diameter, although some comet nucleuses can be only a few meters across, and the largest one that we know of is the nucleus of comet Hale-Bopp, perhaps 35 miles across or more. As a comet approaches the sun, gases sublimate from the surface of the nucleus 
and form a cloud around the nucleus. That is known as the head of the comet or the coma. It can be tens of thousands of miles across, much bigger than the Earth and even larger than Jupiter. But you can often see stars through the coma, so this cloud is not very thick. Some material is blown away from the comet by solar wind, and some material is just left behind. And this forms the tail. One type of tail is made of dust and is curved. It's often white or yellow. The other is straight, narrow, and blue in color and is called the ion tail. There's also a large hydrogen cloud around the coma of the comet, but it can be seen only from space, and that can be a million miles across. As the comet approaches the sun, it gets brighter, and if it behaves properly, then it as it halves its distance to the sun, it will get 16 times brighter. So it matters how close a comet will get to the sun. Also, if the comet will go close to the sun, then it travels through space very quickly. Predicting the brightness that a comet will attain is difficult and not a perfect science. Predictions can be off, and they often are. No astronomer wants to predict that a comet will be the comet of the century, only to have it fail on its way in towards the sun. Beginning around 1760, amateur astronomers searched the sky for comets and found most or all of those that were discovered. Quite often, they did this visually by looking through the telescope and scanning the sky. But in the last two decades, automated search programs such as ATLAS, PANSTARS, the Catalina Sky Survey, find most of the comets before they become bright enough to be visually discovered. Some amateur astronomers also use a telescope or telephoto lens with electronic cameras to find comets too. One of the most famous comets is Comet Halley. It is a periodic comet that returns every 76 years. It's named after Edmund Halley, who calculated its orbit and predicted its return. Halley's Comet was here in 1910, in 1986, and it will be back in 2061. Halley's Comet is usually not spectacular, but it is a steady performer. It puts on a reasonably good show once for each generation, but there are other periodic comets that are brighter and return more frequently. Another comet you might have heard about is Comet Kahootik. It was discovered in March 1973 while still far away from the sun, and from the way it brightened, astronomers predicted that it would be really bright when it reached its perihelion point, the point at which it is closest to the sun in late 1973. It did not live up to expectations. Astronomers were fooled because it was a new comet to the inner solar system, and a lot of volatile material burned off while it was still far from the sun. When it got closer in, it underperformed. 
It actually did well, but below expectations. Periodic comet Shoemaker-Levy 9 hit the planet Jupiter in July 1994. Unlike most comets that orbit the Sun, this one got captured by Jupiter, and its last orbit was around Jupiter. Comet Hale-Bopp was perhaps the most well-observed comet in history. It was discovered while still far out and was visible to the unaided eye for 18 months in 1996 and 1997. Presently, we have Comet C-2020R4 Atlas in our morning sky. You need at least binoculars to see it. Last year, we had several comets visible, with Comet Neowise being the brightest and best in a long time. We now have Comet 2021A1 Leonard approaching the sun. This coming December, it will be visible in binoculars and probably to the unaided eye. Okay, I'm, I'm being cautious. We don't know what it will really do when it gets here, but it does look promising. Now to asteroids. An asteroid is a big rock or a small rock or medium-sized rock that orbits the sun. Hundreds of thousands of asteroids have been discovered. The, the surface of an asteroid is typically not covered with ice or snow like a comet, so they do not develop comas for that reason and also because their orbits are more circular than comet orbits and they stay about the same distance from the Sun as they orbit around the Sun. Now, word of caution. We think we know the difference between comets and asteroids, but it's not that clear-cut. Some asteroids outgas and show a small coma or even a tail, and then they are reclassified as a comet. And some comets shut down or exhaust their ices and stop producing a coma. Now, many asteroids are in the asteroid belt. This is an area between Mars and Jupiter. Beginning in the early 1990s, another class of asteroids was discovered. They are known as TNOs, our trans-Neptunian objects. They are large, several hundred miles across, and take hundreds of years to go around the sun, and they orbit the sun outside the orbit of Neptune. About 700 are known well enough to have determined orbits, and about 2,000 have been found that are not yet officially recognized. About 15 years ago, a new class of solar system objects was invented, and it is called the dwarf planet category. Pluto was placed into this category, as was Ceres, the first asteroid discovered in 1801, and a few trans-Neptunian objects. Nowadays, nearly all asteroids are discovered by automated search surveys which are trying to find any asteroids that might one day hit us. So far, no big ones have us targeted. All these comets and asteroids leave behind dust. 
That answers the age-old question, where did all this dust come from? We often think of space as a vacuum. Well, it isn't. We're here, aren't we? The dust forms mostly along the plane of our solar system, the path the planets take around the sky. They are tiny particles, each far away from the other, but when you look through millions of miles of it, it has some effect. It is called zodiacal light, dust lit by the sun, which we can best see in our twilight sky. You've probably seen it without noticing it, a cone of light, white at the base and tapering off perhaps 40 degrees high. In the west after sunset and in the east before sunrise. Zodiacal light straddles the ecliptic, the path the planets take around the sky. One new theory that came out this past week suggests that perhaps zodiacal light is caused by dust particles by the planet Mars, but that needs further research. Next week, I'll discuss meteor showers. That's how I got started in astronomy, and meteor showers is the spice of life, so to speak. Our telescopic object for the week is the galaxy M109, just off the third star in the Big Dipper. Count the stars from the pointers to the handle, and you will find the third star. M109 is 0.6 degrees southeast of that star. It is plotted in detail on Podcast 67, Map 3. M109 is a barred spiral galaxy about 55 million light years away. It is magnitude 9.6 and 4 arc minutes across. Under good conditions and higher magnification, you might be able to notice the barred section coming out of the core of the galaxy and attaching to the arms. Now for fun with the marathon. I did a Messe marathon this past week on Saturday, April 11th, overnight to Sunday, April 12th. Of the 110 galaxies, clusters, and nebula in the Messier catalog, I saw 107 of them. The most that can be seen from this latitude at this time of the year. This was from my home in Arizona, and I used my binocular chair with 25 power and 40 power by 100 millimeter binoculars. The evening sky has changed a lot since three weeks ago when it was the ideal time to do the Messe Marathon. But three weeks ago, we had a bright moon in the sky, so our best options this year for the marathon were March 13th and April 10th. The objects M77 and M74, which were both visible back then, have now set by evening twilight, and M33 is only a couple degrees above the western horizon. I tried for M33, but did not see it, and that was expected. I moved this group, M31, M32, and M110, from the evening list to my morning list, as they would be easier to see in the morning. In the first 75 minutes, I found 63 objects, everything that was above the horizon by that time. 
I was able to pick up four objects I normally cannot get in late March by this time. M83, M5, M13, and M92. I then went to bed for a few hours. That's what I usually do during my Messe marathons. And I came back out again at 2.45 in the morning, more than two hours before dawn. Within 40 minutes, I had found everything except M30 and the M31 group, which consists of M31, M32, and M110. I then did some common hunting and went back to the binocular chair to get the final four objects about 20 minutes before dawn. So the mid-April Messe Marathon from 35 degrees north latitude, you can get 107 of the 110 Messe objects. In the evening, M79, which is below Orion, can be difficult setting in the southwest, but in the morning, you do not have to rush. Those morning objects rise well before twilight. This is the 65th Messe Marathon that I have started. Some of them have been clouded out as the night progresses, so this is the 51st that I have completed. This is the sixth time that I've found 107 Messe objects in one night. The first mar marathon I ever did, March 23rd, 24th, 1979, I also found 107 objects the first time that anyone did. This time I again did it from memory, no setting circles, no star maps. I've been doing that since 2003, and that is the best way to do the Messe Marathon, in my opinion. I know of several amateur astronomers who do the Messe Marathon from memory. It's not that difficult. It, it just takes some practice. A list of all my Messe Marathon attempts can be found on my website. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? The moon is getting brighter in our evening sky, reaching first quarter on Monday, April 19th. Mars goes behind the moon as seen from Southeast Asia on April 17th, and the Lyrid meteor shower peaks Thursday, April 22nd in the morning sky. But avoid the moon. Comet Atlas is in our morning sky. See last week's maps for positions. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 67 for April 14th, 2021. I'm Don Mockles. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockles.com. That is spelled D-O-N. M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z dot com. Two H's. You can contact me at dontheastronomer at gmail dot com. Once again, that is dontheastronomer at gmail dot com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We will discuss what's up in the sky, and in our astral class, we'll learn about meteor showers. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week. <laughs>